This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Dexecure. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Christy Peralt about supporting women in tech. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 127. everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, you know what I love about this show? Ooh, the banter in the beginning? Well, yes, the banter in the beginning is one of my favorite parts. But uh, we have been like fueling some conversations or starting conversations on Twitter. Ooh, okay. Say more, please. Do elaborate. Well, so, I mean, we had this excellent um, uh, excellent conversation with Eric Johnson, and we were talking about speaking up in meetings, and we've gotten some feedback from Ben Kehoe on it, and a lot of people sort of speaking, uh, speaking about that, and I think that is amazing because is that not the purpose of this show, to get people thinking and talking about uh, all these ideas? I totally agree, and honestly, to tell you the truth, I was like, I clicked on Ben Kehoe's, like opened it up and I was like, oh wait, this is me looking at my quote that he pulled. And I was like, what's happening here? Um, And it was both exciting and uh, humbling, I think to say. Yes, yeah. So you know what the second best part about the show is? The banter? No, the guests. The guests are the next uh, best part of the show. Actually, they're probably the best part of the show. Um, So we have an amazing guest today. Would you like to introduce her? Absolutely. Our guest today is dun, 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 Senior Software Engineer at Liberty Mutual Insurance, Christy Peralt. Hey, Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me today. I am super excited to be here, uh, but I do have to say you guys are setting the bar pretty high with the stellar guests that you have been having lately. <laughs> um, well, you are also a stellar guest, so you're continuing to raise that bar. Um, I... Jeremy and I actually chatted a little bit. Usually we'd say like, hey, tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do at Liberty Mutual, and we're going to get there, I promise. Um, but we thought, Jeremy and I thought, that instead of going straight into like, what do you do technologically, and then tell us like how you're using serverless and then how Liberty Mutual is using serverless, there's something that you're super, super passionate about. So we actually wanted to start there and allow you that space to talk about women in tech in this really powerful article that you wrote called, I gave the wrong answer when I was asked about, when I asked how people can better support women in tech, here's what I wish I said instead. And it's this really great article you give, you end up like reflecting on an answer that you had given and you basically break it down into four more discrete sections where you're like, hey, you know, build women up, watch the water cooler talk, educate yourself so you can educate others and ask women what they need. And so we wanted to hold this space first for you to talk a little bit about what that experience was, what that meant to clarify that. And then, and you do so much work about women in tech and we'll talk more about how you're um, empowering others to to be in this space. Um, so will you tell us a little bit about that article and then we'll get into, of course, the tech side of things. Yeah, definitely. And and I totally appreciate you setting aside the, the space to kind of do that right off the bat here. Um, so kind of some background on that article first, which is kind of funny. Um, you So the one that you um, talked about, the title of that one was from, um, it was picked up from Business Insider. Uh, so I originally actually wrote that on uh, Medium where I just entitled it like how to support women in tech. Um, and then it kind of just like blew up overnight and I was very surprised. Um, and I kind of allude to this in the article, but Um, I was recently on the serverless office hours uh, and was asked about women in tech and just like wasn't like super satisfied with my answer. I thought I could like kind of take some time to reflect and elaborate a little bit more. Um, So I kind of just wanted to share a little bit about my story. And I've been hearing a lot from folks in industry, which is awesome. Like, what, what can we do to help? Like, where can I step in? Like, what do you need? Like those sorts of things. Um, And I thought that it would be really helpful to just kind of put almost like a little guide together, um, at least from my perspective and my point of view, what what's helped me in the past um, and what I've seen help others um, and the, some of the things that I need. Um, and I just did not expect it to resonate with, with so many people, which was really exciting and, and cool to see. But yeah, I mean, women in tech is, is a huge part of my life and something that I've been really passionate about for 
a long time now, probably since I, I started um, way back in, in my undergrad degree. So, um, you know, kind of starting from there, I was part of Society of Women Engineers uh, in my college. And then coming out of it, uh, Liberty has an awesome women in tech program that I've been very involved with from the start. Uh, I work a lot with teaching uh, kids in K through 12. Um, STEM for girls, uh, and I'm also pretty huge in the Women Who Code uh, Boulder, Denver chapter um, out here where I live um, and connected also to the Women Who Code Cloud group. So it's something that I'm just really passionate about. Um, I'm always going to be pushing for it. Um, I think that, you know, kind of going into the serverless space, like we need more exposure there for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, the funny thing is, is that you said that it resonated with a lot of people and I can see obviously it resonating with a lot of women. Um, but it resonated with me too, when I read this article and I, you know, I have two daughters, I don't want to be the guy who's like, Oh, I have daughters. So yeah, you know, whatever. But like, honestly, it did, it resonated with me because I have been in tech for 24, 25 years, something like that. Um, so I have seen uh, a lot of the discrimination and of course, the the bro culture and all these other things that are just, you know, so hard for, I think, a lot of women to, um, to over, uh, you know, overcome and, and, or just, I guess, put up with it is the, is the, is the probably the, the best way to say it. Um, and, and I've always tried to be an advocate, you know, when, when we have, uh, you know, when a CEO cuts off someone that's trying to speak or things like that, or people, um, certainly speaking up when it comes to the language they use, you mentioned the water cooler talk and stuff like that. Um, so I think this actually, you know, sort of hit a nerve with a lot of people. Um, but I'm just curious, like, I mean, in your experience, you know, you mentioned those things at those different ages, which I thought was brilliant, by the way, like all these different experiences you had at different ages um, and, and sort of that discrimination or, or just the challenges you faced at that point. I'm just curious, like, are you seeing a shift now? I know people are like, oh, what can we do better? But like, are we seeing that shift at all in these companies? Like, is Liberty Mutual one of these companies that, that's helping with that? I would definitely say so. I mean, uh, I think it has gotten better in the, you know, I started, I think that uh, story started uh, 10 years ago or so. And I'd say over the course of that, it is getting better, but we still have a long way to go. Uh, and it's tough because I've had a lot of people reach out and say like, wow, like this is great. Like it's really resonated with me. And I hate to say like, that's great. Cause I'm like, if it means it resonated with you, that means that, you know, everybody's having these experiences and there's <laughs> right. an issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think that our company is doing really great. We actually just launched a um, engaging men as allies kind of speaker series and sessions um, to kind of get more of those conversations going. And we're making sure that our leaders are really educated, uh, not just in the women in tech space, but in, in DE&I overall, um, which I think has been great. So, so we're making strides. But, you know, I definitely see some of those unconscious biases things still. Um, and you see some of those comments on Twitter as well. But you know, I like to say for every one or two comments, there's there's a dozen other really good ones and people behind us supporting us too. And so I love that you're that you're working with each other, right? You and Liberty Mutual, and then your colleagues. And I think that there's it sounds like some of those sessions too. I can imagine that they might be um, predicated on some of these like actionable, quick phrases that you leave us with in the article, right? Where you say, I think I already listed them, but <laughs> to do it again, build women up, watch the water cooler talk, educate yourself so you can educate others and ask women what they need. I'm wondering if you, um, and we'll link the article. So hopefully people can, will also go in and read it. But I'm wondering if when, with each of those like sections, if you have like an example or like a moment where you're like, Hey, in this scenario, this is how, you know, you can build, uh, help build women up in this scenario, watch the water cooler talk. This is what I mean by that. So that this, hopefully listeners can be like, Oh, I have heard myself, either myself say that or someone else say that. And I didn't say anything. So maybe there's like a few actionable bits that you can drop along the way for us. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I have to say, like, these things are not easy. Like, they're definitely difficult. Um, and I will even say, like, I, I have trouble with some of those things myself, too. Uh, like, I, the one that really resonates with me that stands out a lot that I catch myself with constantly is the you guys statement, um, kind of using that kind of language because it's just so ingrained in every day and you use it to like group things. And I'm trying to be more conscious about catching myself when I say that. Um, which is kind of funny because here I am writing this this whole article about it. And I'm like, well, I kind of got to learn from myself a little bit here, too. Um, so that's like kind of one example for that, like water cooler talk, you know, um, educating yourself so you can educate others. That one's probably one of my favorite sections, because I think that it highlights that we're all still learning this. You know, like I just said, like we're all still trying to figure this out together and let's do it as a collective. I mean, even approach it like you do any sort of new tech that you're learning and stuff like put out what you're learning and put out what you're ignorant about 
um, so that you can like learn from others and, and kind of share experiences. Uh, and then, you know, kind of some of the things for like ask women, you know, what they need. Like, I'm a pretty loud person. I'm not afraid to step up and, and say stuff, but that's not everybody. Um, so like some people might need more help, um, you know, being highlighted in meetings or for presentations and things like they might appreciate being reached out to more. Um, others just don't like doing that kind of stuff. So maybe highlighting them in a meeting just makes them more nervous and they don't like it. Um, so that's what it kind of comes up to with um just asking what folks need individually, because we're all individuals at the end of the day and everybody needs something different and is looking for help in different areas. I find the you guys thing is uh, everywhere you go uh, on TV. You know, I, I mean, I'm from the Northeast, so um, in uh, Northeast United States and you guys is just something that everybody uses. I mean, women use it, men, it's everywhere. And then you're on tech Twitter and, you know, there's this, there's very much so this push to, um, uh, to sort of move away from it, which I think is, is amazing. Um, and I, I just find though that it's like, it, it's like fighting an uphill battle and we, I mean, we need to change it, but at the same time, like, I mean, even my, even my daughters, I mean, we don't use the term usually in our own household, but like my daughters hear from friends and things like that. And it's just, it's so pervasive. And, and I'm just curious, um, a, a thought on this because you have so many people that push back. They're like, oh, you guys, it's meant to be, uh, you know, gender neutral. Like it's not really that big of a deal or whatever. But I think to some people it is a really big deal and and it and it doesn't feel like you're including them. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on the, the separation between workplace and um, sort of casual, you know, uh, or I guess recreational, that's probably not the right word, but like that's the thing where I find the language you choose um, to, or the language you choose when you're in a professional environment and you're communicating with people, even on Twitter as, as part of a you know professional uh, profile or whatever, um, and communicating on LinkedIn and, and within Slack and within company, things like that. Um, you know, I think people kind of get confused in terms of the language we use outside and the language we use professionally. Um, and I think there's a line there, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Uh, so kind of funny, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about my company is that you're really encouraged to, to bring your whole self to work. And I feel like I can do that. You know, I feel like there's I have such a relationship with my colleagues that it's very much like that. I mean, I put a, a daily fun fact in our channel every day um, to kind of get conversations going and stuff. So um, I do think like maybe that line is becoming less and less clear as we go on, especially because that work and personal isn't as separate anymore with how much remote work there has been. Um, like you're kind of, you know, screen sharing or video sharing in your house now. Um, you're kind of ingrained a little bit more in each other's lives, which is why I think it's maybe even more important to pay attention to some of the language and some of the ways that we're speaking to people um, and how we're, we're embracing differences and diversity across the board. Um, I do think in, in certain, you know, professional situations, of course, like, you know, formal presentations and some of those things, like, yeah, you do want to be probably a lot more careful with those things. Uh, and I'll say I'm one of the people that it, I'm not super offended by the you guys thing. Um, I'm happy if you want to say that or use that, but I do know that other people aren't. So that's where the communication kind of really comes into play. Um, and like I said, I'm not somebody who's afraid to kind of speak up and, and ask or if something's bothering me, I'll, I'll say it. And then that's how we can kind of learn from each other. Um, but I tend to really treat my, my work life and my my personal or personal dev life um, pretty, pretty similar, really, um, just because of that whole idea of bringing my whole self to work and, and being my whole self where, wherever I am. And I'm lucky that I've been able to be supported in that and that I have a safe space to do that. I would, I, I want to add here too, um, when it comes to like gender neutrality about that term, I certainly know that that, or like using that phrase, right? I certainly, I get it. I get it. And I understand that it's like, well, that's just like, you know, a part of speech. It's like a, a benign, if you will. Mm -hmm. However, actionably to talk about like a, a small action one can take anyone who's, uh, whenever you say you guys to a room of like mixed gender um folks just replace guys with ladies and watch what happens it is very strange i will I'll, I'll do this i'll walk into a room of mixed a mixed group and i'll say sup ladies and it's weird and people will be like that's I don't, awesome they're like i, I don't get that. i don't get it and you're <laughs> like well then try to explain to me that guys is gender neutral if you could just replace and say no i'm just using it in a gender neutral way and people are like, that's clearly not gender neutral. You just called us all ladies. And you're like, I mean, that's it. So I do think that it's um, 
And I don't mean that to be like poking the bear, but just for all of us to just like question our own, what do we mean when we say neutrality? And is it really? Well, what can you swap out in your language to see if it really feels neutral with the opposing word, right? Boy, girl, whatever that binary is. Um, And so I do, and and oftentimes it's funny, right? It can be very light and can be very lighthearted, but I I think it's, it's been a really helpful, almost like teaching moment for everyone to say like, hey, that actually does feel strange. And then it's like, okay, how do we interrogate that? And I think it feels strange because Tech, that actually shows you that like, hey, guys is not gender neutral. If you could say, hey, gals and people feel confused. Right. Right. I mean, I've tried on the <laughs> I've tried on the y'all um, a little bit, but I'm, I'm, from, I'm like Jeremy. I'm from the Northeast. I'm not Southern, so I can't really get away with can't that. Pull it off, so, right? <laughs> you said it well. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've had some practice. But yeah, no, I'm more in the wicked cool range, not the y'all. Range, ah, wicked so. cool. <laughs> <laughs> wicked smart wicked smart from boston yeah yeah wicked smart yeah <laughs> well it's funny i actually i'm gonna try well if i have the guts to i will um i will try the the hey gals um at the hey next, gals the next <laughs> hey gals the next speech that i make well it's funny it's funny too about uh again it's just you, you're not i mean there, there's certainly the 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 binary and the and, and not and not uh, choosing that but it's even with that like my wife doesn't like the term ladies um so like i, I was always a, a a girl soccer coach for the longest time and i always felt weird especially once they were like 13 14 years old just calling them girls um but my wife's like don't call them ladies i'm like okay well, what do i call them then <laughs> like, you know so it's like hey everyone uh, you know so it's, sometimes it's hard when you're trying to be um Inclusive, so that actually is not a bad idea to have some strategies in place, um, you know, so that you can you can do that. And I started the show from day one saying hi everyone, uh, you know, just because again I want to include everyone. Um, so I, I do think it's important. And and again, even if you're not offended by it, there are people who you know that they they might they might be or they might feel left out. And that is the last thing we want to do, especially um, in tech. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. Um, and, and that goes back to kind of that last point that I had on there too, was like, ask, ask people what they, what they like. Cause you know, if, if your wife is, doesn't like the term ladies, you know, I, I don't mind it. So it's like, that's where the differences kind of come into play and where some of this gets sort of complicated. I'm just not going to say anything anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so actually I have a very, <laughs> just don't talk. Um, he has a podcast. Yeah, just, He's going to be silent. Just, just fade into <laughs> the background. It might be easier. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I have a long question here, but I think this is, I, I, I think it's a good question because this is one of the things for me where, you know, you've been doing a lot of uh, writing and speaking lately um, at a couple of different conferences and so forth. And, um, you know, one of the things that I love about uh, about writing and about speaking um, is it forces you to, uh, you know, formulate and organize your thoughts into something meaningful. And when you do that, you kind of I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, right? You learn a lot about, you know, how you perceive something. You learn a lot about where your gaps in understanding uh, and your knowledge gaps are. Um, And then sometimes we deal with these, like, uh, this cognitive dissonance, right, where we have like two competing ideas in our heads, like, do I say ladies, do I say guys, like, whatever that is, I mean, whether that's politics or or um, religion or life or programming or whatever it is, we have these competing ideas. Um, and you did something, I think, really special when you went back and said, hey, I gave a bad answer, or I gave an answer that I, not a bad answer, but I gave an answer I wasn't satisfied with. Um, and I had to go back and I had to write that down. I had to clarify what a better answer to that question would be. And you probably learned a lot uh, about yourself even or you know even being able to kind of put all that together um and i think that everybody um has always or everybody has faced a situation where you you have an answer to a question that you're just not satisfied with but i think it's a very small percentage of people um who sort of have that you know the the uh, i guess the not wherewithal but like the the discipline yeah the discipline that's a great yes yeah so like have the discipline to go back and formulate that and write that out and i think that 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 process um is is, is something that more people should do. Um, and so I'm just curious that, you know, again, you're a, a younger engineer um, and you've gone through this process. You've shared a lot of, um, you know, your learnings and, and the experiences you've had and so forth. But I'm wondering that this process of you, um, you know, going back, clarifying this, you know, call it a clarification process, whatever it is, like, are there takeaways from that that you have? And then what do you think the value of doing that was, not just to yourself, but maybe to other engineers, whether they're young or old? 
Yeah. So um, to be honest with you, I, I didn't think too much about it. Um, you know, I, I just I recorded the session earlier in the day and I was like, by, you know, sitting in bed at night, I was like, man, this is kind of bothering me. Like I have these thoughts and I just kind of need to get them out. Um, so that's kind of where that originated from. But, you know, I think that some of it is just uh, I've always like emphasized just being really well-rounded. Um, and that's kind of been a theme throughout, you know, my, my life, my education, my my professional career. Um, like it's more important for me to learn than it is for me to be right all the time. And I think that it's important to kind of share those journeys um, with everyone else around you so that we can all learn from each other. I mean, I, I went to a liberal arts college for a really technical degree, and I made that as a conscious choice just because I wanted those other perspectives and those other viewpoints. Um, and it really encouraged and, you know, kind of part of that was even encouraged speaking It encouraged cross team collaboration It encouraged all these things that we're trying to really emphasize a lot more in industry now that a lot of folks don't necessarily get in formal technical trainings. Um, and I noticed a huge difference in that when I went from from my undergrad to my graduate degree, too, because I went to a very large, prominent <laughs> um, graduate college and I thought it was like, OK, like, whereas I really enjoyed my really tiny liberal arts college because it emphasizes a lot of these things like, you know, it, it kind of I wasn't really brought up in a way like you had to get everything right all the time. It's like it's more important. Do you understand what you're learning? Do you understand what you're doing? Um, and I think that it's just kind of come second nature to me and what I've been doing now. Um, so I don't really think about it when I'm when I'm putting it out there. But yeah, I think it's a challenge for other people to, to kind of have that humility a little bit and to be that transparent and to go back and say, wait a minute, I was wrong. Um, like here it is. But um, yeah, I, I just I recommend it. Like I really enjoyed kind of going back and obviously it did resonate with a ton of people. So I'm really glad that I did it. There's never been a point in my life where I regret going back on something I said and clarifying or or updating it or just kind of being a little ignorant, because I think if anything, you get 10 more people that message you and say, hey, I was afraid to do that or wow, you you made me question that, too. Or, you know, I was wondering about that. So you kind of are building a community when you do those things. So I think uh, this may be the first time this has ever happened and I'm just going to let listeners in. But as you know, Jeremy and I will type to each other when we're like, hey, I have a follow up, et cetera. Um, and I wrote down, it's more important to learn than to be right all the time, which is something you just said, Christy. And I, I wrote, love that. And Jeremy wrote back, I also wrote that down too. <laughs> Scribbled it on a piece of paper. So there's something I think that resonates really with both of us. And I think we are just, you know, a small microcosm of the listeners who I, I likely would guess will resonate with them as well. What a beautiful quote. And I also want to use that as a bridge, right? Because I think that there is a, an all builders welcome grant allowing all builders to come and learn um, probably underpins that idea of it's more important to learn than to be right all the time. So will you tell us a bit about the all builders welcome grant and um, how people can learn about it? Sure. So that kind of started um, last year. I really wanted to find my way to reinvent. <laughs> um, I was pretty desperate to go. Obviously, I kind of live and breathe serverless in, in my day to day. Um, and specifically AWS. So I was super excited about it, but as we know, travel has been limited with, with pandemic restrictions and things. Um, so I started kind of getting creative and uh, it was just a Google search. And I found this All Builders Welcome Grant, which is AWS's uh, diversity, equity, inclusion um, grant program for reInvent. Um, so I applied, it was a pretty quick application, just a couple open-ended questions about some of your experience, why you wanted to go. Um, and then about a month later, I found out I was accepted, which was really awesome. It was super cool. Um, and it covers everything. It covers your flights, your hotel, um, food while you're there, even get some swag and everything. Uh, and I actually got credits for taking an AWS um, exam as well as a certification exam. Um, so I was kind of I kind of used it as my ticket in. But when I got there, uh, it, there was some really awesome just like programming surrounding it as well with um, they had like an opening reception, a closing reception. They had some really specific like all builders welcome um, events and programming. And I think they even had a track for it um, for some of the sessions there as well, where they had some DEI speakers. Um, so it was a really awesome opportunity. Uh, I'm glad that I found it. I'm glad that I was able to take advantage of it. Uh, and I highly would recommend anybody who's interested in even if you're just a student, if you're just starting out, uh, if you don't really know much, like that's totally fine. Like it was very open. It was very inclusive. It was very much for people who were brand new to tech, who had been in it for a while, who were maybe retooling, 
Um, so it's just an awesome program and I can't say enough things about it. Um, so I'd highly recommend, you know, if you're if you're looking for a way to get to reinvent, you're concerned about cost, you kind of want that inclusive environment, like it's definitely a great option. Um, and one of the things about reinvent, so I actually wanted to go to reinvent really badly uh, as well. I was like, I, I got to get there. I got to get there. This was in um, 2018, um, and I ended up just paying my own way. I just said, I, I just, I got to get there. I got to be part of it. Um, and I will say, and I hope you know, I'd love to hear your feedback actually on reinvent, reinvent a little bit, but. Um, it is such an amazing experience to be there with all those like-minded people when it comes to like serverless and things like that, like getting everybody into the same room. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. And it's also, maybe this is something, and I, I think we're going to talk about reInvent a little bit later, but I'm curious about um, overall experience where I can see somebody um, saying, well, I'd love to go to reInvent, but, you know, well, I guess it was what, 20,000 people this year, but normally it's like 60,000 people. Um, like, the was that was that really overwhelming for you or was it something you know it, it should I, I don't want people to be afraid to be like that's a giant tech conference it's nuts but like like what are your thoughts <laughs> on uh like sort of encouraging people to go and, and and your experience around that so i love conferences so i might be really biased because i go to conferences like all the time uh, i did when i was in undergrad um and then i've also been to grace hopper which scale wise is actually very similar. Um, so it's huge like that. It has the, you know, the giant like um, fair with all the vendors and everything. It has dozens and dozens of sessions, thousands and thousands of people. Um, so I, I had already been prepped a little bit for, for what it was going to be like. So I was a little prepared going into it. Um, and I'm somebody that loves to network. So one of those opportunities is like any, any opportunity for that is huge for me. Um, so that was like some of my big draw. Um, but I just say like, kind of go for it. Like everybody I talk, I mean, I met you guys there. <laughs> you guys, here we go. Y'all, I met y'all there. <laughs> um, so I think that it's just, you know, taking advantage of some of the opportunities. And if you don't have it, then kind of find a way to do it. Like that's what I did. It's I, I sought it out myself um, and just take advantage while you're there. Like it is overwhelming. You don't have to do everything. Like there were some sessions I planned for and I didn't go to. Um, there were some events where I was like, ah, you know, I'm good tonight. You know, I've been talking all day. I've been around people all day. Like maybe I'll just have a chill night to myself. Like you don't have to do everything that's there all the time. Um, but it's a great thing to take advantage of. I mean, anybody I walked up to and talked to was super receptive, responsive. Um, again, lack of huge lack of diversity there. That was very apparent that I was the only woman in most of the sessions I attended. So, uh, kind of another tie in there is to we, we have some work to do. And that was pretty blatantly obvious when I was there. It is so exciting uh, that we met there. And I have another question related to that later. But do you know what time it is now? Can you guess? What are we going to talk about? Serverless? We're going to talk about serverless. In the serverless podcast, <laughs> we're going to get to it. <laughs> we're going to talk about serverless and code. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Dexsecure. Dexsecure empowers web developers by automating tasks that are essential for every website, freeing up developer time to focus on building. Dexsecure currently has three products to help your team. Their web asset optimizer optimizes content like HTML, images, CSS, JavaScript, fonts, videos, and more. Their third-party optimizer takes care of all your third-party assets, and their intelligent network optimizer enhances the performance and resiliency of your website. Dexsecure also has an open source product called OpenDexsecure, a cloud agnostic edge development framework. Now what I love about OpenDex is that the developers can jump straight into product building and not worry about dealing with setup and all the other roadblocks that come from the complexity and configurations of other popular CDNs. If you're interested in trying Dexsecure's products, you can for free. Just visit Dexsecure's website at dexsecure.com to sign up and learn more. That's D-E-X. E-C-U-R-E.com. Womp, 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 Jeremy, tell her the question she has won. Um, yeah, so you uh, did a talk um, about clean code. Um, so, and I think it was actually called squeaky clean code. So tell us a little bit about that and, and the importance of it. Sure. Um, so I think to kind of go into a little bit of background there. Um, so specifically where I work in our company, I'm, I'm in the serverless DevOps team. Um, so my job is to uh, sort of help our 5,000 or so tech employees embrace this serverless first 
initiative. And we do that kind of in any way we can. Um, there's a lot of pivoting. It's very dynamic. Um, sometimes we're gathering metrics and data for our users. Um, sometimes we're working on building out patterns for them. Um, just any way to enable and empower our developers to build out serverless solutions. Um, so the clean code talk, I, again, I really just wanted to kind of get my foot in the door with speaking. Uh, it had been really, I, I have had probably dozens of um, rejected proposals and things over the years, uh, especially early on in your career. It's really hard to, to find a place to be a first time speaker. Uh, and I had this really awesome opportunity come up with um, the Women Who Code group. Um, they put out a Women Who Code uh, Connect conference, which happens a couple times a year. And they were really encouraging first time speakers. Um, so I kind of thought about the things that I was really confident in. Um, and one of those was with clean code. Uh, and it's kind of funny because a lot of that talk is actually around the code itself. It's a lot of the best practices and things that my team preaches and follows and puts into practice that we found really useful over the last three or four years. Um, and it has everything to do with like how to best document your code from comments to readmes to how to handle pull requests and how to use code reviews as a tool to learn from each other. Um, because you know, I, I didn't learn serverless in school. I came out of school and kind of jumped into the workforce and then fell into serverless. Um, and I didn't know anything about it. Like I didn't know where to get started. I didn't know nothing. So everything I do today, I learned on the job. And a lot of that is through these kind of clean coding practices that we've set up and we put into place. It's through a lot of this asking questions and um, not being afraid in, in some of those code reviews to have um, you know these conversations and these discussions. So it was a lot around like using code as a tool to, to learn, um, document it properly so that others can learn from it and so that others can even contribute to it and understand what you're trying to do. Um, and then it even had some things in there around some of our team standards and, and how we work as a developer team. Um, so we have some pretty, not strict, but we have some outlined processes we like to use from tools to plugins to everything else. And we try to go step by step, like this is how to set things up. This is how we use it um, so that everybody has a solid understanding of it. So um, yeah, the clean code talk was was awesome. I've actually given it like two or three times since then. And I think I have it planned for a couple more times. So um, trying to tailor that to the audience as well has been really helpful. And I've got a lot of good feedback on it. So I think that's also resonated with a lot of folks. All right. So how do you feel about this statement? The documentation is in the code. I think to clarify, I don't think you should be over commenting things, but I do very much stand with having a readme right in your repository that has all the documentation. And you can link out to whatever you want from there, but I do, you know, my team and, and myself in particular, I really love having a description, a document. I mean, we usually we break this down as a description or an overview, instructions on how to build, how to run, how to test. And then, you know, we link out to external things as needed. Um, but I definitely like keeping that as close to the code as possible. Uh, and I think comments have a place uh, here and there in your code, but you, you don't want to oversaturate that either or, or be too wordy um, within your code. An intuitive code really should not have that many comments if you're naming things properly. I always love to get people's um, feedback or, or their their ideas on that. I've worked with some people like, we don't write any documentation at all, just read the code. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, it's been born from that pain it's point. Not as, <laughs> They're like, just enter my brain and understand where I was at that time I wrote it. You're like, it's a <laughs> exactly. little bit harder. I don't remember. It, well, the funny thing is if I don't put comments in and things like that, I'll go back and I'll be like, I okay, I understand what this code is doing. I just don't know why I am making it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I even call that out. I was like, I, I write it down for me. Like, I, sometimes I walk away from a project for three months and I'm like, how did I run this again? I don't remember. This is for me. <laughs> I can walk away from a project for <laughs> yes. three hours and I can't remember why I did something in there. So something else I wanted to ask about in terms of, you know, squeaky clean code is you talk about best approaches and best practices for peer code reviews. Um, so I think we're talking a little bit about that here. And I'm wondering if there are other um, kind of how to's around. There's like one thing around like, okay, team coding standards and setting that up, setting up your like, you know, best practice for a dev environment. And then you bring in that peer code review and you, you try to get this like, you know, shippable. And in that moment, right, you're now interacting with someone else's brain. And so I'm wondering if you could share a few more things around like, hey, here's some best practices that we've found either at Liberty Mutual or in your previous experience that you loved in terms of like enabling um, a consistent best practice around peer code reviews. 
Yeah. So one of my favorite things that my team does that is pretty unique is um, every day we set up an hour phone call. We're completely distributed. Um, and it's just like a developer working session. So it's for a time for us to get together and be like, hey, you know, kind of a status update, but you know, sometimes it turns into pairing, sometimes it turns into architect discussion, sometimes it turns into mobbing. Um, and there's only three of us. So we're a very small team. We're not part of really the big two pizza team um, model. So it's a little different. Um, so we're really in tune with what everyone else is doing and we tend to work together almost all the time. Um, so by the time the pull request or code review comes up, we're kind of all on a good understanding. There's no surprises. Um, we know right what you're doing, where you are. Um, one of the things that I like to do is if I open a pull request and there's something that's kind of funky about it, or I added in a new library, or there's something we didn't talk about, uh, I'll go in first and go through the code review and make comments and be like, hey, I did this here. I did this here. If you have questions, like let's bring it back to our working session and talk about it. Um, sometimes it's good to have really good conversations in there. Um, one of the things in my presentation actually was a screenshot of a code review that had over a hundred comments in it. And I will say that is not every single um, pull request is like that, but you know, we had some good conversation going and it just kind of, we just were generating things. We were talking a lot um, and it was really, really valuable. And clearly it was three years ago and I still remember it. So it had an impact. Um, so I would say like, you know, and, and ask ignorant questions if you want. Like, I don't think any questions ignorant or silly, like ask me, like, I'm not going to know you don't understand unless you, you ask. And half the time you ask me and I'm like, oh, I don't know the answer to that either. Like, I got to look that up too. And then I found that that's really helpful when you're mentoring junior folks as well, because then they realize, oh, okay, like the senior person like also doesn't know, like that makes me feel really good too. Um, cause we're all kind of learning with this. So there's a lot of ways to use code reviews and pull requests um, as a learning tool. Uh, and I just think having a lot of really open uh, communication between your team and finding those times to work together and, and pair and mob and do those things has been really helpful for us. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, you went to a, a, a small college for, you know, a technical degree, um, you know, then now you've got your master's and then you went from college and then you started poking around with serverless and now you're a senior engineer. Um, I'm curious though, like what was the, what was that learning process besides just sort of poking around um, to learn serverless? Like what were the resources you used or how did you get into it? Like what was it about serverless even that was, you know, that excited you? And then, and then what was the, the path that you took to, to really educate yourself? Sure. So my undergrad is in computer engineering, and it actually had quite a focus on multiple different disciplines, as well as um, kind of more robotics. So I actually worked with like kind of autonomous vehicle technology and um, a lot more hardware. Uh, and then I, I met Liberty at a conference, actually, and ended up um, working for them as an intern and just really loved the environment, the people I was working with and the experience. Um, so I accepted a full time offer. Uh, and then I kind of bounced around a little bit. So I did some work with some um, image recognition. I did some work with uh, Java and like microservices. Uh, and I ended up on, again, a small team, a project with uh, working with databases. Um, and we actually built out the solution using CloudFormation templates. And I was like, this is kind of cool. You know, it's different than what I've done, you know. So we worked on that for about a year and then transitioned the project off. And I started on a new team and, and we jumped into some React, some JavaScript, some more legacy code. And I was like, oh, I hate this. Like, I loved that. Like, I loved doing CloudFormation <laughs> templates. Like, like it, right. it's so funny, but I was like, I really don't like this. Like, <laughs> and it kind of was one of those, like it took me to realize what you, you know, you have to try what you don't like to find what you do. Um, and I was just fortunate enough to have like a really awesome uh, mentor and kind of senior tech lead that was kind of like, hey, I think you might like it over here. Like you should come over and see like what I'm doing uh, and work with me. Um, so that's kind of how I got aligned to the serverless space. And then over the past just two or three years, it's just been constant. You know, I've been working, uh, I work off of like a cloud guru to learn some things. Um, I did take the um, cloud practitioner AWS certification right off the bat, uh, reading like the well-architected frameworks, especially with the serverless lens. Uh, and just generally kind of going through different workshops, you know, reading blogs as they come out, just kind of really ingraining myself more in the community. And then kind of at the same time, I decided to go back to school for my master's degree, um, which I had always wanted to do, but was debating on if I wanted to stay technical or be more product or management. Um, and I kind of decided that I really 
love engineering. So I went back for um, electrical and computer engineering, and I focused a lot on data analytics, IoT, uh, cloud computing, and like AI machine learning work. Um, so that was a lot of my course load. And I did that while I was working full time through the pandemic. Um, so it was quite the experience, um, definitely kind of a blessing in disguise in that sense where I actually had time to sit down and do all of that because nothing else in the world was happening. Um, so I finished that about a year ago. Um, so obviously a lot of education and learning uh, throughout that process as well. And it was pretty cool to kind of see some of the overlap and the parallels. I mean, I brought Lambda functions into some of my school projects um, and there were a couple like kind of tidbits from some of my classes that I was able to bring back to my team. So it was really kind of a fun overlap. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's really great. Uh, this is great. Congratulations. So quick aside, I used to, uh, as like a 12, 13 year old, um, like make, you know, handmade cards. And then I would send them to Hallmark and I would be like, you should make this into a card. And I kept hoping that one day I would see congratulations like on a Hallmark that. card. So you've been sitting uh, on this other... for how long? <laughs> well, you know what? No, Hallmark has been sitting on it. But like three years ago, I did right. see a congratulations card and I was like, could this be? And now I'll never have any proof because they basically say, don't send us designs. Like we're not going to attribute you like they're, you're not going to get. But I was like 12 and 13. I was like, this is the right. best idea ever. Um, and so I'm really hoping that, you know, two decades later, Hallmark really cashed in on that. Um, so yes, congratulations. Um, this episode to me is like a bunt cake, right? It comes out and you actually have to flip it over. So we started from, usually we'd go from like, let's talk serverless and then move into other things that you're passionate about. But we started about what you're passionate about. And now we're getting to the end where we flipped over the bunt cake and we're talking about serverless. And then we're going to talk about Liberty. So you talked a little bit about, right, like you're at Liberty now. Um, Liberty Mutual has been a longtime believer in serverless. Um, you mentioned a serverless first mindset. And I believe um, I was at AWS at the time when we had hosted the first serverless first function. And Jill spoke on behalf of like what uh, Liberty Mutual was doing. And uh, Werner used Liberty Mutual as like a, a highlighted them as a customer doing incredible things. Um, and so I'm wondering how you've seen serverless evolve in your time there. Certainly it was it was a serverless first mindset early on, especially for such a large company. And then over the years that you've been there, even how it's changed from how you heard about it when you you know arrived and how people are talking about it to how it's um being used across the organization now? And then if you have like future plans at Liberty for what serverless might be to Liberty in the future. So you're spoiling my next uh, talk idea a little bit here. So I'm, I'm literally putting the other slides very much, <laughs> so very similar to, to this, but I'll give you a little kind of crash course, I guess, in it. So yeah, when I started it's, and it still kind of is sometimes, you know, people think Lambda and then they're like serverless. It's just like synonymous with the two of them. Whereas we're trying to get more to the mindset of like, no, it's event driven architecture. It's not just this one tool or this one service. Like just because you use a Lambda function doesn't mean you're serverless. Um, I will say the adoption has been, it's been fast. Even in the two or so years that I've been on the serverless DevOps team, like, you know, we've really made a huge jump from CloudFormation templates to like, everybody's just going to CDK, like immediately. We're doing um, like IAC, folks are getting started with Dynamo, with Lambda, with API Gateway. I mean, even it, with the release of CDK v2 happening in November, it was like the next week people are like, are, are we ready for this? Can we do this yet? Like, it's like, hold on, we got to get the infrastructure up and ready. We got to bootstrap the accounts. We got to do all these things first. Um, but there's just a lot of excitement around it, which I think is awesome. Uh, and it's actually one of our um, kind of company-wide objectives too is is serverless um, adoption of serverless growth is part of our kind of tech-wide goals this year, uh, which is great to see. So you know that's kind of our job is to enable these folks to to hit that goal and to see some of those metrics. Um, but we're we're pretty all in. Um, there's still there's some teams in our company that are really really great with serverless. They're really mature with it. They're building greenfield apps. They're excited about it. They're doing it all the time. And then there's still folks that are maintaining, you know, legacy system. There's 5,000 tech employees here and we've been around for over a hundred years. So we definitely have some code sitting out there that's harder to transfer into the serverless model or is a much larger effort. 
um, or just we need to figure out education across the board, scaling cloud education uh, and helping people empower uh, our developers to deploy serverless code. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. We definitely still have challenges ahead, but you know, from what I've seen out out in the community and and from what I've been working on, I think we are very mature and we're definitely getting to a point where um, you know we can kind of spread this even further into into all corners of, of the company um, and to work our way up to to serverless first. Yeah, and I I love I love this idea of changing the mindset a little bit away from just serverless and and moving to the event-driven architecture um, because that is that is huge and I think there are so many people who hear the term serverless and they conflate it with a number of different things or they think it only has to do with Lambda like you said um, when there's so many other pieces to this puzzle and we've got the API economy that's part of this you've got distributed systems and and the and the uh, understanding and the engineering and the architecture that goes around with that um, so that's really interesting so the I, I'm actually curious on your thoughts on the term serverless serverless itself, or maybe not the term serverless, but is, is that something you see when, I mean, it, not everybody in, in Liberty Mutual is full on serverless yeah. yet, right? And there's still, I'm sure, um, legacy that is still being, you know, built out and whatever. Uh, do you get pushback internally if you start using this term serverless first? Really not at all, actually. You know, our, our leaders, our senior leadership is really on board with this um, whole idea of serverless first. I think the harder part is understanding what serverless first means and then prioritizing that work, right? Because it's right. not like, it, it's kind of like we're picking up systems and we have to make them serverless. So it's like, where's the, you know, it, it, fighting for the value of that is probably more difficult because it's not a new feature that's immediately available to our customers. Like my customers are our developers and we're trying to make their processes and their performance and their things better. Um, and, and cost is a huge one too, make it more cost effective. So um, kind of making that use case and finding the time to do that, because then you also have to add on top of that, the, the ramp up time and the education and that like, you know, that's why we have, um, it was spoken to at, at reInvent, but you know, we have a marketplace of pat starter patterns so people can get going right away. Um, but we need to work on kind of that day two part where they, they have something out there, but they're like, well, I don't understand how it works. Like, or I need to add X, Y, Z resource. How do I do that? Can you show me how to do that? Um, and we have a lot of like internal kind of ways of doing things that that need to be adopted from straight serverless docs and AWS documentation. Um, so, you know, it's kind of part of our job is, is to get those things out there quickly so that we can enable those developers. So um, we haven't had much pushback at all on on actual serverless and embracing it. I think, you know, as a company, we're pretty on board with this being our go forward. Um, it's just a matter of, of what does this look like and how do we take it from here? And speaking of that, right, serverless is not um, static. There are so many ways that we keep uh, adding to, let's say, um, the the toolkit of what it means to build an event-driven application. Um, and so to sort of circle back all the way to reInvent and to you coming last year and us meeting there, I'm curious if there are any launches from reInvent that you are currently using today um, and, and how you're using them. Something that came out where you're like, oh, great, this actually adds to the toolkit and what we want to do at Liberty Mutual. So I think the first thing is, uh, which I alluded to, was was definitely... TDK v2 um, work. I think that everybody's very excited. We're just getting ready to, to be um, support, support for that. Um, so I think everyone's really, really excited about that. That would, I, I think, is one of the biggest ones um, that came out of it. Uh, I did attend, uh, Julian Wood did a really great one on advanced serverless usage um, and serverless best practices. Um, so I did bring some of that back to, to my team. Um, <laughs> Funny, a lot of it we were actually already doing. There was there's maybe one or two small things I think in there um, that I mentioned that we we kind of have talked about potentially adopting uh, and doing across the board. So um, yeah, mostly the CDK v2 work though. I would like to see more serverless sessions now that we're saying that because <laughs> us too. You know, I think Jeremy and I are in agreement. <laughs> Julian's talk was was fabulous. I didn't get I didn't go to it in person, but I watched the I watched the replay of it, um, and it was uh, it was very very good. I will say um, it's a bit overwhelming, yeah. right? Because you think about what teams are doing, a new team getting into this, it's like 
from, you know, going from like, I don't know, 60 miles an hour to 70 miles an hour is one thing, but going from zero to 60 or zero to 100 um, is is a lot harder. And I think that uh, I think that's part of what we're, you know, why we need more serverless, uh, you know, more uh, a larger serverless community, why we need more people talking about this, why we need to start thinking of it more broadly as EDA and things like that, because it is, uh, there are a lot of working parts in here and, and it is a it is a long journey, I think, for some companies to to get to that serverless first mindset. Yeah, I mean, we're even like the, the mindset it's just a mindset shift too, right? Like we're, we're used to, there's some teams that are still like on-prem and it's like, you're, you're going from that to CDK. Like that's a huge jump. And that's a mindset shift even around redesigning for cloud in general, not just CD, like not just CDK or serverless. So uh, it is definitely a large, a large gap to bridge and a large um, kind of mindset to change and to teach. But, you know, the willingness is, is a hundred percent there. Um, it's just getting those tools in place um, and figuring out what what folks need. Christy, guess what time it is? Oh, is it closing time already? It's oh, closing time. Man. man. Come on. Yeah, you don't have to go <laughs> yeah, home, but exactly. you can't stay here. Ooh, exactly. call back to semi-sonic. <laughs> yes, Jeremy. Earlier you said Tetris. Right, oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, nailing it. Um, I know, yeah. No, I'm very old. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge with the community. Um, before we go anywhere, how can our listeners find out more about you? And of course, we'll put all this in the show notes. But are there a few um, articles that you really love or talks that you really love too that you'd say like, hey, if you're going to learn more about me, like these are my favorite talks or my favorite articles. And then we can make sure to link those as well. Yeah, so I'm definitely um, I'm very active on on Twitter. Um, you can also add me on LinkedIn. Those would be probably the two best ways to reach me. Um, my blog site currently resides um, just at my name, Christy Peralt, um, on Medium. Uh, so there's some information there. Uh, I will say I have a lot more speaking engagements coming up on the calendar that I'm very excited about. Um, and I do want to call out real quick too. Um, I'm on the committee for CDK Day. And we will be opening um, CFPs ah. on March 9th, um, and they'll be open for about six weeks. Uh, and the date of the conference will be on May 26th. So if anybody's interested in that, I highly encourage you to submit a CFP. Yeah, submit those CFPs. Very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. Well, listen, it was wonderful speaking with you gals. <laughs> I thought it was uh, it was an excellent conversation. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to try to use that. I'm gonna see what happens. Just just the look on people's I need a face full could report be on that, how that amazing. goes. So, yeah, this has anyways. been great, gals. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, it's been fun. <laughs> um, anyways, Christy, thank you so much. This was awesome. It was great to meet you at reInvent. We didn't even mention the wonderful pictures you took um, for us. Uh, again, always willing to help people. You just were like, oh, I'll do it, right? It was awesome. Um, so thank you again for that. Um, but yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Christy Peral for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Dexecure. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 127. For more serverless chat, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter at Becca Odele and me at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.